Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Guardian. Robots are coming for your jobs. Or at least, if the listeners of this podcast are roughly representative of the population of the developed world, then about one in seven of you is at risk of seeing your job replaced by automation. A new report from the OECD, that's the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, looked into the extent to which jobs are automatable in 32 different countries and found that 66 million people are at risk of losing their job to machines. The risk varies from industry to industry and country to country, but even here in the UK, about 10% of jobs are at high risk. So what happens when a person loses their job to a machine? Who is most at risk of being replaced by a robot? I mean, all OECD countries are going to be affected, but some of the more vulnerable countries are in Eastern Europe, where there's been a lot of outsourcing and manufacturing into, into quite sort of, you know, jobs from Germany have been outsourced into Slovakia, for example, which is the most affected country. And is this wave of automation some kind of humanitarian crisis? Or are we just living through another industrial revolution that will force us to adapt? I view it much more as continuous technological change rather than we're going through a, a peak moment uh, uh, right now. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this is Chips with Everything. So how long have you been working at The Guardian? Uh, it'll be 30 years in uh, October. My goodness, you're going to have a party. Larry Elliott is The Guardian's economics editor. Since he covered this story, I thought it would be good to get him to break down this report from the OECD. Well, the interesting thing about the OECD is it does, it, you know, there's been lots of surveys which have looked at individual countries, but because the OECD's got a wide membership, it's the first real cross-country analysis of what automation is going to mean and which countries are particularly vulnerable to it. So. It, obviously, all countries are going to be affected by AI and by um, algorithms and so on. But it was it was what was interesting about this report is it actually said these countries are specifically more vulnerable than others. What do you think are the most interesting stats from it? Well, I mean, I think two things. One, 
overall, it suggests that there are going to be fewer job losses than some of the previous surveys have suggested. So there was a survey back in, a big piece of research back in 2013, which said that you know almost half of American jobs could be wiped out by automation. And this one actually you know downgrades that quite a lot. But it's still quite a large number of jobs. I mean, they say sort of one in seven across the OECD, which is more than 60 million jobs, could be lost as a result of automation. And there are another... You know, 40% of jobs which are going to be affected by automation so people are going to have to adjust the way in which they work in order to take account of the changes that are going to happen as a result of, of, of AI so it's quite a fundamental change and I mean and there are big um, differences between between countries and that was the other interesting thing mm. I thought. You mentioned there the difference between this report and the 2013 study. Why do you think we should trust this one, given there is such a discrepancy? Well, I mean, I don't think we should trust any of the reports particularly. <laughs> I mean, I think they're all really um, estimates. Um, you know, I think that to extent, everybody's just sort of, you know, shooting in the dark here. They don't really know. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what this one does is it's just a bit more... Um, nuanced and says, yeah, the, the 2013 report suggested that, you know, a much larger uh, proportion of the workforce was vulnerable. This one looks specifically at the, you know, it says that people who were working really in in in, in quite low-grade manufacturing or bits of the service sector which are easily replicable by automation are particularly vulnerable. Uh, you know, they're saying 14% of people might lose their jobs, another 33% are going to be affected in some way. That comes out pretty much the same number that the original report came up with, which was 47% in the US. What it does is say that those that a large number of those people are not going to lose their jobs, but they are going to have to retrain or rethink the way they do their jobs. Mm. What did the report have to say about jobs in the UK specifically? Well it found that uh, that the UK was one of the least likely to be affected. Um, I mean all OECD countries are going to be affected but some of the more vulnerable countries are in Eastern Europe where there's been a lot of outsourcing and manufacturing into into quite sort of you know jobs from Germany have been outsourced into Slovakia, for example, which is the most affected country. So countries that are, that are the least affected tend to be ones which are with a much higher proportion of high-skilled service sector jobs, which is the case of the UK. So we have quite, we do have some low-skilled service sector jobs, but we have some quite advanced service sector sectors of our economy, you know, architecture, software design, and so on. What do you think will be the effects of that discrepancy then? If some countries are, you know, 33% of the workforce are losing their jobs to robots and some countries aren't really being affected at all? Well, I mean, I think it's going to lead to two things, really. One, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those countries to actually increase their own domestic response to it in terms of education and skills training. Two, inevitably, those people are going to want to move to countries where there are, there are jobs. So, you know, m migration is going to be a real issue. I mean, you know, that's, that would be my main takeaway. Unless, though, unless countries like Slovakia dramatically upgrade their skills level and their education and, and, and find decent jobs for the people who are going to be uh, uh, losing their jobs, they are going to want to be moving to places where there are jobs, which is inevitably going to be places like the UK. Mm. 
So obviously your expertise lies in economics. So from an economic perspective, what do you think are the benefits of investing in automation that does aim to replace human jobs? Well, what it does is just generally improve productivity. It makes people, you know, from an economist's point of view, it makes makes people more efficient. So someone who, if you take, take, take an obvious example, if you, you know, the Australian fruit picking industry is a lot more productive than the UK fruit picking industry because, you know, they have very tough immigration controls in Australia. That's incentivised them to move into machines and automation much more quickly than the UK, where labour is cheap and readily available. Therefore, the Australian fruit picking industry is a lot more efficient than the UK fruit picking industry. That isn't just an example of how automation can lead to. Um, economic efficiency. The fruit picking example seems relevant to Brexit. So we're having issues with that at the moment in this country, aren't we? With people not wanting to come here and pick fruit. Do you think it'll lead the UK to invest more in automation? I think inevitably it will. Mm. The equation, which is, you know, pertained up to now, which is that if I'm a farmer, do I invest in a new machine or do I invest in low-skilled labour? It's been quite clear that you invest in low-skilled labour because it's readily available if immigration controls are tightened up after brexit then that equation will change then uh, some of these farmers are going to have to invest in labor saving productivity enhancing machines so should we be worried about things like what this report is saying i mean i i think that we should we should be concerned by this report because it suggests that governments are really not getting to grips with the challenge that this presents I mean, I don't think you can stop automation, you can't stop technological advance, but governments, not just the UK government, governments everywhere need to actually realise that there are going to be people who are going to lose their jobs or find their jobs drastically changed as a result of this. And, you know, the last few years have shown us quite clearly that there's an awful lot of unhappiness, an awful lot of anger, uh, you know, the whole sort of populist revolt against elites has been bubbling away for many years and this is going to this will feed into that sense of dislocation unhappiness unless governments start to um, sharpen up their act it is going to be quite a challenge so this report was more optimistic than previous studies But Larry thinks we should still be concerned and that governments need to start creating policies to help the people most at risk of losing their jobs to automation. But what do the experts in robotics think? Is automation a threat or are we just living through a period of transition like the Industrial Revolution? And importantly, will robots take my job too? If you look at, I mean, again, if you look at robot journalism, I mean, AI for journalism, that's actually a thing now. We'll find out after this short break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, Daniel Glazer here. Our latest episode of A Neuroscientist Explains looks at the fine line that divides perception and hallucination. I think it would be impossible for us to perceive or to see anything unless we also had the ability to hallucinate. It's the same mechanisms. The brain has hypotheses about what's out there in the world and perceptions, different kinds of perceptions, are these different hypotheses. To have a listen, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts or search A Neuroscientist Explains on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, we talked to The Guardian's economics editor, Larry Elliott, who talked us through a new report from the OECD that found one in seven people in developed countries are at risk of losing their jobs to machines. He told us, the reports like these should be a wake-up call to all governments who will need to put plans in place to avoid ending up with disgruntled, low-skilled workers unable to find new work after losing their jobs to robots. That said, we can't stop the wave of automation. Hello? Hello. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. This is Jordan from The Guardian. How are you doing? Dr. Jeremy Wyatt is a professor of robotics and artificial intelligence at Birmingham University. So I work on the application of fundamental techniques in AI to robotics. And at the moment, I do a lot of work in an area called robot manipulation, where we're trying to enable robots to manipulate objects with an increasing amount of dexterity, but still much less dexterity than humans. Is that an important caveat? I mean, so it's very interesting with respect to the report, because one of the areas that that both their study and also the previous study by um, by Frey and Osborne was that increased finger dexterity in robots was going to be the cause is going to be the cause of potentially you know mass mass shifts in the job market. I'm a little bit more skeptical. Okay, is that because you directly work with these robots, so you know what they're capable of? Yes, and the 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 difficulty I think with both of the studies is that these categories of how much communication do you do in your job. And how much do you make cognitive decisions and how much do you manipulate objects? These are very broad sets of skills of which only a proportion will be automatable within the next 10, 20, 30 years, whatever timescale you want to look at. So that some tasks will be very easy. So, for example, picking up cardboard boxes when they're well, what we call, singulated. So, in other words, there's, there's gaps between the boxes you're trying to pick up. 
is a very easy task. We can do it now. But picking something out of a cardboard box, say, for example, taking a wine bottle or a, or a computer out of a box where it's packed in very closely and the object's a peculiar shape and it has, you know, it might be full or empty, that's much, much harder. And that means that that task might be very difficult to automate even in the midterm. Okay. So what skills do you think are at risk of automation then? So I think what we've got better at in AI gradually over time is making decisions based on data or making predictions based on data. And so to the extent that you're making decisions in your job, that's not very informative as as to whether or not you can either be assisted by, augmented, or, or perhaps replaced by an AI. But if you're making decisions based on perhaps large or even maybe small amounts of data, you're doing data-based decision-making, then that kind of decision-making is probably going to be automatable to a greater or lesser extent. And it depends on several things. It depends upon the quality of the data that you've got, depends on how much data you've got, and it depends upon how easy it is for you as a company to know how good the decision that a machine or a person takes. So the report kind of said that it was manufacturing jobs that were most at risk, but it sounds like you're kind of saying the opposite, that in fact jobs that require manual dexterity are less at risk than the report implies, and actually it's kind of jobs that we might think were more human, so data analysis and stuff, you know, think thinking jobs that might be more at risk. Is that true? So the, the, the thing with manufacturing automation is, yes, it probably is the case that particularly in controlled environments, so this could be, you know, actual manufacturing or it could be handling of goods. So in the logistics chain prior to manufacture or post-manufacture on its way to the consumer, those are things that will be automatable to varying degrees. And what they're really saying is that the risk is that it's low-skilled workers who are in relatively non-autonomous jobs, so where you know, they don't get to make decisions about their, about their future, that it's those kinds of jobs that are at risk of automation. But the other thing is also is when you're talking about is the job going to actually go completely versus is the job going to change, they don't draw that distinction. The most, the, 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 the most subtle distinction that they draw in this report, which I think is, is, is a great report, it's really comprehensive, is that for jobs that have a less than 70% chance of being automated, they think that that just might lead to a change in the, in the nature of the job. So in other words, they don't distinguish between is the job going to change or is the job going to go. The other thing that this report doesn't seek to address, but which is hugely important, is the impact of automation on productivity. If you want to make more stuff, you want to have higher standard of living, you have to you have to either work more hours or you have to work smarter. And largely, the history of the Industrial Revolution is the introduction of automation to do that. So if you go back to 1750, very low automation, very low productivity. And productivity probably grew, you know, between the Roman em- the advent of the Roman Empire and, and, and 1750 by about 0.1% a year. So the thing that they don't address is what's the standard of living of the workers because what's their level of productivity? And what automation does for you is it increases your level of productivity. It's the main way that we've done it historically. And it's the main way we're going to continue to do it in the future. So... They're looking at one aspect in great detail, but there's this other aspect, which is what job do you have and how many jobs are there overall in the labour market, but also how productive are those jobs? Okay, so it sounds like you're saying that 
automation will help improve the standard of living generally because we'll just be more productive as a society but what about the specific people who might lose their entire job not just some of it to automation and might not have the skills to get a different one what would you say to people like that well so that that's that's hugely problematic so what we do know about automation historically is that it 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 can be and it is typically extremely disruptive both for specific occupations and also for specific regions. So if you're in the right place, in the right kind of occupation, you might lose your job, but you then might move to, move to a different kind of job. And there was evidence in the report that this is, in fact, what tends to happen in Germany. There is evidence that jobs can be locally lost. So, for example, if you look at Detroit in the 1950s, and they raised this in the report, between the 1950s and the 1970s, because of an introduction in automation in, in the automotive industry, there was a big drop in the number of people that you needed, you know, the number of personnel that you needed to make a car. And that had, a, therefore, a, a big local loss to their job market. The answer is that you either have to have geographical mobility of your, of your labour market, or you have to have a much more systematic attitude as a as a country towards retraining people um, so we're very good at training people up until the age of 18 21 and then after that we consider it no longer to be the responsibility of the state and the problem is of course if you're an employer well that's an additional overhead so typically employers try to sort of shove that off onto the individual or onto the state and the thing is if you're an individual and you've just lost your job you typically don't have a lot of capital that you can then use to go and, and, and retrain in some new profession. Hmm. So would you say that we're living through another industrial revolution then, another transition period? Oh, that's a very difficult question to answer. I think that you never know until you're out the other side. I mean, firstly, the, the, the human population has grown very rapidly since about 1850, 1900. And the second thing is, is that technology has improved hugely in that period. And these two, these two are the, the great drivers of economic growth. I view it more technologically as that we have been making steady progress. You get little blips, little improvements in particular areas. Um, you know, in the 1990s, people got very excited about the uh, the impact of the internet on, on productivity. But the jury's still out on that. It, it's still not totally clear where increases in the past came from. I, I view it much more as continuous technological change rather than we're going through a, a peak moment uh, uh, right now. So Jeremy, I am a journalist and a presenter on television and on this podcast, obviously. Is a robot going to take my job? I don't think so, no. So if you look at, I mean, again, if you look at jur robot journalism, I mean, AI for journalism, that's actually a thing now. But what are they doing? They're writing stock reports. They're writing reports on minor league baseball games and the journalists who were doing those rather boring jobs are now doing more interesting things instead rather than having lost their jobs hopefully what happens is that the boring bits of lots of jobs will get automated rather than all of some jobs so my job is safe as long as i keep it interesting but i'm afraid the same might not be true for those in the service industry as our interesting tech fact of the week is that the world's largest cruise ship, Symphony of the Seas, which debuted in March, features a bionic bar where patrons are served their fruity cocktails by robotic bartenders. I'd like to thank Larry Elliott and Dr. Jeremy Wyatt for joining me on the show this week. There will be a link to the OECD's report on robots taking human jobs in the description for this week's episode on The Guardian website. 
As always, I also want to hear from you. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, and if you have any ideas for cool digital stories that we should cover in future episodes, email us at podcasts at theguardian.com. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. See you next time. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.